Welcome to the Vulva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vulvovaginal health. Today's episode is a continuation of our most recent episode covering steroid therapy, featuring Dr. Gail Fisher. She is a professor of dermatology at the University of Sydney in Australia and has authored books and done extensive research in the area of vulvar dermatology and lichen sclerosis. Hi, Dr. Fisher. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Do you give steroids to pregnant women? Yeah, absolutely. Again, this is something we've published on. We published a series of, I think, 30-ish pregnant patients, because you don't see a lot of pregnant women with LS. It's just not the age group that gets it, but still. It, again, steroids are safe in pregnancy. We know this. We've known this for ages. We give oral prednisone in pregnancy. Why would we not do it topically? We know that the vulva is less than 1% of the body surface area, and we know that when you put topical steroids on skin, at the very most, 10% is absorbed, and the more intact the skin, the less it's absorbed. So, yes, we do. Now, the more recent topical corticosteroids, the the generation three ones like mometasone, like methylprednisolone, acepinate, these don't get a category A rating. I don't know whether you have category A, B, C, D, E in Canada or in Australia. A is completely safe. X is what you give a retinoid, you know. So some of our topical steroids, which have, a, in fact, the best safety profile, don't rate a category A in Australia. Now, that doesn't worry me personally, but it worries patients because, of course, they're going to Google it and it worries some of the GPs and, of course, it worries the pharmacists. You can't get an A. You need a randomized controlled trial to get an A. So really the best you get here is a B or a C. Exactly. And that's what I tell patients. The only reason these things aren't scoring an A is they're recent drugs and we can't do that sort of testing. So we do have older drugs like um, betamethasone dicropionate, that score an A and, of course, 1% hydrocortisone. Now, they're not my favourite topical steroids for the vulva. My favourite one is, I don't know whether you have it in Canada, but it's something, it markets as Advantan, and it's methylprednisolone acepinate 0.1%. And it's a fantastic topical steroid. It's just the right strength. It's so safe. You can just literally take a bath in it and nothing happens. But anyway, can you use steroids of frequency? Absolutely, you should. Totally should. And you shouldn't let your life go to pot during pregnancy, you shouldn't let your GP, you shouldn't let your gynecologist. I just say to them, if you're not sure, you ring me. And you know the other time where the wheels fall off is after they have the baby, they're totally distracted, they forget to use their topical steroids because they've got a new baby, and then they have a great big relapse in the pure perium. But, you know, as long as it's not for too long, you can pull them back pretty safely. I agree, totally. Do you find that steroid strength that you give to patients depends on their age at all? No, not at all. Like as you get older and your skin get thinner or no? No, no, no. The strength of the topical steroid I use relates to the severity of the LS. That is a question like, do you use weaker insulin in old people? You know, it's about the disease. It's not about the age of the patient. So no, not at all. If I have an old person with severe LS, I'll use the strong steroids in that patient. How much steroid, when you're using the strong ones, I've heard of some people giving only a certain amount to a patient at a time. Do you have any limits like that? No, absolutely not. I give them enough so that they've got a decent amount until my next review with them. I would never do something like that. I trust my patients. I don't think patients are so untrustworthy that you have to kind of control how much medication you give them. 
I mean, the tendency is for people to underutilize their treat, not overutilize, as we know. So, no, I didn't feel like that at all. I'd give them an adequate amount. I totally find people are more underusers than overusers. I think the only time, maybe at the very beginning, where you see them after a few months, you kind of want to see that they're using it right. So it gets them to come back too. But after that, once people are good, I mean, we can't see people. I'm sure your healthcare system is similar when we have a public system in Canada. I know you guys have a hybrid, but we can't see people all the times with our long wait list. In Australia, we're incredibly fortunate that we do have a hybrid. We've got a public system and a private system and nobody is telling us what to do in the private system and indeed not really in the public system either. So doctors in Australia are very free to do whatever they think is best practice. And, in fact, that has helped us so much in our research. It's why we've been able to do this sort of research because we're not constrained by a health system that says you can only see patients every, I don't know what, year or three months. I mean, and I know it's so difficult with the NHS, say, in England, being able to follow people up properly and, you know, with patients being seen maybe once or twice by a dermatologist and then being handed back to the community to people who aren't sure what to do. So in Australia, we are at liberty to see people as often as we think is necessary. So very lucky. So usually when I see a new patient, the first thing I will do is a biopsy. I do it right away in the rooms. It takes five minutes. I don't give people time to think about it and get scared. It's a two millimeter punch biopsy. It's done in five minutes. Then I start them on a potent topical steroid and they're back in six weeks for me to see how is that going we likely to need it for long or can they come off it after six weeks and go down to a weaker one? So I'm monitoring them and making sure that I'm matching the strength of the treatment to how the disease is going. So I would do a six-week review, then three months, then another three months, then six, and then yearly. So that's how often I will review my average LS patient. The really severe ones probably more often. But I realise that people in other parts of the world aren't at liberty to practice like this. We're not limited by payment, but we're limited by, like if you're in a hospital clinic as opposed to your own office somewhere, you can only see so many people in the day. And again, with all of the other things to see, and there's not very many of us who do it, we have long wait lists because there's so few doctors that do it. So all the same things. It's just hard to. If you see people more frequently, other people can't get seen. So it's different. I know the UK, it's a totally different issue. So it's comparing all the worlds is very interesting with these things. What about natural products? So, you know, again, with the steroid fears, people want their natural remedies. I know a lot of my patients are in all kinds of support groups online, and they talk about all these natural health products that they think have anti-inflammatory effects. What do you tell them? Well, I tell them that, firstly, I'm a doctor, I'm not a naturopath, and it's really hard for me to comment on natural products. I try not to diss them, you know, because that's really getting at the heart of people's beliefs. But I just say I don't see the evidence, but I see overwhelming evidence for what we're doing. And look, if you want to supplement what we're doing with a natural product, I don't have a problem with it as long as it doesn't create contact dermatitis. And as long as you don't stop your medical treatment, you're fine to use your natural stuff. I know emu, emu aid, emu oil, that's a really big one on support groups. You know, as a dermatologist, I would say, well, I guess that's a moisturizer and there's nothing wrong with using a moisturizer. But I don't believe that any natural product is going to be a substitute for topical corticosteroids. And I think that people 
are putting themselves at risk by using them. But again, this often goes to the phobic group that I was mentioning earlier, that if they want to use natural stuff, well, okay, uh, we can't stop them. You can offer people effective treatment as a doctor. There are some people you're never going to win with. And all you can do with those people is keep them under surveillance and hope for the best. Do you have any comments on how to optimize steroid treatment in patients? Oh, sure. So the first thing you need to do is when you first meet them, is assess how severe are you? And this was in our paper, and we had a little quite simple severity scaling grade, which looked at only the skin changes. We weren't looking at scarring or anything else. Why did we only look at the skin changes? Because that's what you're treating and that's what you can change. So if they're pretty severe at the outset, and most of them are, I'll start with a super potent topical corticosteroid. So in Australia, we have diprazone OV, which is betamethasone dipropionate in an optimized vehicle, or I'll start with clobetasol. And then on review, if their skin has returned to normal, and here I'm talking normal color, normal texture, then I'll reduce my topical steroid strength. Now, how long does it take to get there? Well, in our study, it was actually an average of five months before people normalized. So those people might be using some strong topical steroid every day for five months. At the outset, they're very symptomatic, so I'll get them to use it twice a day just to switch off the itch and pain quickly. And as soon as that's better, they can just use it once a day because that's going to be better complied with. Then once the skin is back to a normal strength, I'll go down to a mid-potency one. And here my preferred one is methylprednisolone mm-hmm. acepinate, and we'll run with that for another three months. And then I'll review again. And if they are completely stable with no side effects. I don't change anything. If they're starting to get a bit of erythema, then that's telling me that the strength of the steroid can come down. So then I usually mix it up with 1% hydrocortisone. And because we don't kind of have a, a perfect strength steroid that you can just use every day, I'll usually say, well, why don't you use the 1% hydrocortisone Monday to Friday and the moderate potency on the weekend. So that's easy to remember. And that little combo works really well for about two-thirds of my patients. Now, of the other third, I would say most of them are needing a moderate potency every day and a very few of them are needing less. And then there's a, a small hardcore group, as we talked about earlier, who need really strong stuff all the time. And you judge that by how white and thick is the skin or how red is the skin. So if it's white and thick, you're going up. If it's red, you're going down. Simple as that. It's just a really simple formula, and the body just kind of does it for you. It just tells you. Again, that's all in the article that we wrote in 2015. Can steroids ever be stopped in patients? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, there was only one study, which was a French study. That paper's now 20 years old, I guess where they did get them better and then stop it, and 85% of them relapsed. So, yeah, a small group, they can be stopped, but it's a small group. And my attitude to that is, why would you take the risk? You've got such a high chance of relapsing. Why not just stay on treatment and be done with it, particularly when you're on fairly low-grade treatment that's not having any side effects and where you're feeling well. And a lot of patients say to me, I don't ever want to go back there again. I'll stick with it. 
And then there are some who, who just desperately want to get off treatment, who, who just can't accept long-term treatment. So what I'll say with, to those is, okay, stop everything, but make sure you come back and see me within three to six months and we'll just see. I find most of them don't want to stop. I think the ones who do stop will come for a while and I'll go, everything's great, and then then they got left lost to follow up. So I guess the short answer to that is I don't know. For sure, for sure there are some people who remit. And you know who I think remits? Adolescents who've been kept under really tight control since they were children. I've gotten quite a few of that group around the age of 18 off topical steroids. Yeah, the dermatologist I trained with said sometimes if she felt if she caught young people when they were very, very early to to not postmenopausal women, but we don't know what happens to these women to 20 years later, right? Like if they were just okay for a while because people don't have those long-term follow-ups. But I see a lot of people once a year and when they feel good or they run out and they forget to call or they lose their cream or I've heard every story. Because I have my photo documentation, it really helps to show people that even when they feel okay, look, it looks worse or look, you can see stuff again and it is re-motivating to go back on treatment. Exactly. And you know what? When it comes back, it comes back silently. You know, that's the scary thing. The only cancers I see in LS these days are new patients who are in that group, which is about 15% of patients who don't have symptoms until cancer ulcerates and then they're in pain. I drop that little pearl in (laughs) and I find that the C word, it's a bit of a mean tactic, but you know what? It motivates people. It would motivate me. I think it does too. Do you think you can change the course of the disease with lichen sclerosis with treatment? Like, can you prevent the complications, like the scarring? Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure of that. And, you know, we did allude to this in the paper. I mean, when we published this paper in JAMA Dermatology, they made us cut out a lot of stuff because it had to be a word limit and so forth. I, I get that. And the product was great. It was really tight. It had a message. But one of the things we had in there was how effectively the treatment stops the scarring. With all the photographic records we have, and we've got these records on, you know, hundreds of people, you can see that scarring does not progress. It really doesn't. So, yes, the course of the disease, I have no doubt, can be changed by regular treatment. Just like, you know, if you have a diabetic, an insulin-dependent diabetic, and you don't treat them well, they're not going to do well. If you treat them and you keep it tight, they'll live a normal life. It's not that you have cured them. It's not that the disease isn't there. What isn't there are the complications, the scarring and the cancer. And I think that's so important. And, you know, this scarring, if if it's something that hits a young person, they're often so scarred that by the time you see them, they cannot have intercourse. They have to have surgery to open up the fusion, to release the clitoris. And once you've done that, you can keep it open with the topical steroids. And here's another thing that we've just had published in JAMA Dermatology. It's just a little research letter, but we looked at rates of recurrence of vulval cancers after surgery in LS patients in groups that hadn't been treated with topical steroids and our group that has, and we showed that our group had much lower rates of recurrence. So that's another really important point. That's great. I have seen some recent papers on recurrences and mostly in people who are not treated because the oncologists don't treat the LS. And when my patients have cancer, I'm very adamant that they need to come back to me to treat their LS still. That was a really big multi-centre study. Again, the ethics are so difficult because 
the fact that we've now published this thing, it now puts doubt on whether you can actually randomise this. Is it wrong not to give them steroids after surgery? It's very difficult. But the fact is that a lot of our gynaecology colleagues do not treat post-surgery with topical steroids. And I guess you could look at a, you know, a large group who didn't get treated and a, and a group who did. But you have to do it for a couple of years. But I think you would find if we did a big multi-centre study that there would be a difference for sure. Yeah, I think the paper I saw was from the UK, and they were doing it to try and get interest in a randomized trial, but through oncology centers, and based on their poor participation, it didn't look like it was going to be easy to do that study. Uh, it would be very, yeah, very, very hard. But look, just common sense would dictate if you've had a cancer and you have LS, and we know that in people who haven't yet had cancer who use topical steroids, cancer is, is incredibly rare, why would you not at least initiate it after treatment? Surely this should be standard of care. This has been a very interesting conversation. Do you have any last take-home points about steroids for patients or listeners? A lot of them are physicians. Mm, sure. I think there is now increasing evidence all the time that topical steroids are not only gold standard of care to induce remission, but should be continued long-term to maintain it. They appear to be completely safe as long as you are monitoring them and matching the strength of the steroid to the severity of the disease. And here you have to learn to know your steroids and you have to learn to recognize disease severity. And I realize that a lot of gynecologists who are managing this don't have the knowledge about topical steroids, but hey, it's not hard to get. It's pretty simple. You just need to know what's available in your area and what the relative strengths are. And your patients are so much more safe and have such better quality of life if they are properly maintained. The absolute key to this is tight control. I always draw the analogy with diabetes. If you keep tight control on this thing every day of your life and it becomes second nature to put that ointment or cream on just like you're cleaning your teeth, you will never, ever look back as a patient and you will be doing your patients such a great service to encourage them to do this. Thank you so much. Again, that was Dr. Gail Fisher, who's a professor of dermatology at the University of Sydney and a worldwide expert in lichen sclerosis. Mm -hmm.